Listening to the weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. The following message was recorded live from our sanctuary. Our prayer is that this message would nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you as you listen. See my bleeding dying. The scripture reading this morning comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 22. This can be found on the Pew Bible, which is the blue book in front of you on page 957. Give ear, for this is the very word of God. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. Let us seek the Lord together again in prayer. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word that is able to build us up to receive an inheritance that is able to cleanse us, as Christ said, this word that purifies us, that inspects us, that renews us, refreshes and reconstructs us, this word that transforms us as it displays to us the glory and beauty of Christ and the greatness of his salvation for his people. O Lord, use your word in our lives, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, When I was a kid, I rode my bike everywhere that, that there was in my city that I could get to, just about. And always when after a long day of riding... Uh, my house was actually built on uh, the last part of South 8th Street, and at the end, it went down the hill uh, to a street down here. It was a dirt road at the time and the woods that I played in my whole life. 
So for me, the last part, the, 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 the street started about three houses up to dip down. It was level for about two or three blocks, and then it dipped down for three streets, came down. My house was right there at the end. So about halfway down that street, maybe 10, 12 houses up, I would just start coasting. And just just so confident and cool that I could just coast all the way, hit the little downhill part, come all the way into the carport, and not pedal for the last two blocks. Okay. <laughs> I just thought that was cool as a kid, you know, to uh, coast like that. And uh, But Paul actually is speaking against what we could call spiritual coasting on the part of the Corinthians that they were taking it easy in the Christian life. But really, I'd say coasting is a little bit too nice a way to put what they're doing. They're more like a couple of five or six guys going down the interstate at 100 miles per hour, standing on their foot pegs with their arms stretched out. Okay, That'd be a better picture of the Corinthians. Deadly careless in regard to sin. Deadly careless in regard to sin. Spiritual privileges that they thought they had because they had been baptized and they took the Lord's Supper, that this insulated them from being harmed by sin. This kind of inoculated or immunized them against sin's deadly consequences. And so here they were actually involved in sexual immorality, actually involved in idolatry, and all the while thinking, this is fine. We can coast, we're in, we're headed for heaven, it's okay. And of course, Paul gives himself as an example. I mean, arguably, Paul had the greatest spiritual privileges of any human being on the planet at that time, and maybe ever since. So you think if anybody can coast, it's Paul. Uh, he pers- Christ had personally appeared to Paul on the Damascus Road. He had unique revelations from God as he spoke of them in the second letter to the Corinthians. And he was the apostle to the Gentiles. And so you think Paul could really relax, you know. But Paul describes himself at the end of chapter 9. He says, I am running for all I'm worth so that I might win this race. I'm boxing and not just beating the air. I'm really after it and I'm doing it uh, to, so that I will truly win. He says, I'm exercising self-control and discipline. A young friend of ours is playing basketball at Abilene Christian. And she says, we start practice at 545 in the morning. The time most of you get up to start your exercise, right? It's a whole different lifestyle, isn't it? whole different way that you schedule your life, whole way you think about life, because you are planning to win basketball games or you're planning to win a soccer game. I was reading about David Beckham's workout schedule. It's just frightening to think what he does. But he says, you know, all of us have the same 90% uh, 90% Uh, being fit on the soccer field. He said, it's that last 10% that makes the difference. We're all fit, extremely fit, but he goes for the last 10% that spells the difference. That's what Paul's talking about here. The fact that he does know Christ, that he has been rescued, has caused him to give himself completely 
to this work of knowing Christ and being like Christ. And in every way he can to put sin off and to walk more in uh, the way of Christ. And then he gives in chapter 10 the Israelites as the counterexample. He's the example of chapter 9. He sets himself forth. And, and even there he says at the end of chapter 9, I do this lest after preaching to others I myself would be disqualified. And he says, okay, you say you've been baptized and you've got the Lord's Supper. He said, so did the Israelites. Their form of baptism and their form of spiritual food, and most of them were dead in the wilderness because they were involved in sexual immorality and idolatry. Do you think you're going to be insulated against that? That's the idea of Paul here. And that's why he says in verse 12, so take heed. You who think you stand, stand confidently, stand without having to care about it anymore, lest you fall. And so the first phrase in verse 13, if you read it out of context, as I quoted it for so much of my Christian life, uh, early Christian life, if you quote it out of context, it seems like he's simply saying, hey, the temptation you're going through, everybody else is going through, don't, don't feel sorry for yourself. But in the context, it means, listen, you are not insulated from human temptation. You're just as susceptible and vulnerable to sin and destruction as these Israelites were, as any human being is. You're not in a protective bubble that lets you use a dryer in the bathtub while most normal people have to be careful about doing that kind of thing. Take heed. See, that's the Corinthians. So Paul is like an army unit going from house to house in an area of a rocky city where the insurgents have control. And you can imagine how they're going from house to house, covering each other, guarding each other, watching every opening at every corner. Versus an American tourist who's just walking down the street and he's got his camera. He says, hey, well, well, I'm just an American taking some pictures. No problem. Don't worry about me. That's, that's the Corinthians. That's the Corinthians. And Paul is trying to shake them and, and say, what are you doing? And when he says uh, that, take heed lest you fall, take heed lest you stumble to absolute destruction. He's speaking to believers. He's speaking to believers. And he says, the Christian life has never been once saved, always saved, in the sense that now... I'm going to heaven. I don't have to worry about that anymore. And so we take such a dim view of obedience sometimes. Yeah, I know God tells me to get into his word and he tells me to study it and he tells me in Psalm 1, yeah, yeah, meditate day and night, be all about the word. But no, no, I'm just not going to do that. It's not going to be my life. It's not going to be built around the word of God. Sorry. Bam. I know, he says, to be devoted to prayer. But no, I'm just not going to do that. That's not going to be my life. In fact, let me tell you, God, how it's going to be. This is how I'm going to live. These are going to be my priorities. This is where you're going to fit into my life. Got it? No. (laughs) That is not the Christian life. That is not the Christian life. In the gratitude and joy and amazement that God has forgiven all of our sins. That in judgment day I will hear not guilty. 
And that judgment day announcement has already been made to me because I trust in Jesus Christ. In the joy and the, and the, uh, the, the gratitude, the devotion to Christ that arises out of this makes us want to give our life freely to Him. Not perfectly, but that's fundamentally what happens in Christianity. And so if you're fooling around with it in the way of saying, yeah, I got my little fire insurance and now I'm going to be about my business and I'll participate however I want to, Paul would say, take heed, take heed, you who think you stand, lest you fall. Because the the Corinthians were being deadly careless. Now, the immediate, uh, in, in, in chapters 8 through 10, the immediate subject is idolatry. They were participating in, probably because of the weight of, of civic leaders and the like, fitting in the society, everybody goes to the pagan rituals, and you don't want to be the oddball out, you know, you don't want to be the weirdo that doesn't go to the nice pagan rituals and stuff. And so they would rationalize and say, is an idol anything? No, idols aren't real. They're not. So it doesn't really matter if you're there because we don't even believe in idols anyway. So it's neither here nor there if you if you go. Rationalization, rationalization. And, and, and here Paul burst into verse 14 after saying, uh, you're... He says, no temptation to overtake is not common to man. He's faithful to provide the way of escape, so flee. (laughs) It's not that the way of escape is just going to open up magically in a sense, but you take the way of escape. He calls them to run, to leave idolatry in any form. And he, he talks about it, as, as uh, Tim read in this passage, that uh, idolatry has lurking behind it demonic activity. And so to participate in idolatry is to participate in actually demons themselves who are irrigating any kind, anything that drifts away from God. They're like this. It comes to us. Come to us, baby. Turn away from God. Hey, I'm your man. I'm, I'm the one to turn to. And it's interesting because we're so we're such pipsqueaks in the world, okay, human beings, that if we turn from God, there's only one other set of arms to go to, and that's the demonic. There's no middle path somewhere where it's just us human beings on our own. That's the facts. There's no path where it's just you yourself. Because once you're on that path of you yourself doing your will, you can't see it, but you're in the clutches of the evil one because that's exactly what he's all about, exactly what he wants from you, and you're following his path. That's why even though this is in a specific form of idolatry, uh, we can talk about that general idea of the fact that you're... You have an allegiance either to God or unknowingly your allegiance is given to other spiritual beings. That's why language is such as Jesus himself used of the Pharisees. He says, and here are the Pharisees, religious leaders. And you think, well, they have nothing to do with the demonic. I mean, they're just Jewish leaders opposed to Jesus Christ. And he says in John 8, 44, you are of your father, the devil. I mean, he made the Pharisees to be a part of the devil's family. 
That's what he said. This is, this is the nice Jesus that would never say anything mean to anybody you know. And he declares to these men that you are of your father, the devil. Paul, when he's talking about all of us before we came to know Christ, he says that we followed the ways of this world. We, we followed the power of the air that, that, who was working in us. He says we were the workplace of the enemy before we came to Christ. You see, you're either the workplace of God or you're the workplace of something else. Because we're not these omnipotent, sovereign creatures that walk around the earth. We're under the powers of things far greater than us. We don't recognize it. And so here in this instance, it's a particular instance for Paul, but it does raise that whole issue that you turn away from God What's the, what's the condition? What's your uh, uh, alternative? That's why John can say in the last part of First John, the last chapter, the whole world lies in the hand of the evil one. The whole world. He doesn't mean the world like creation, but he means the whole world of people that are against God, they're in the hand of the evil one. God has the whole world in his hands in creation. Satan has the whole world of rebellion in his hands. That's why Paul can describe it in 2 Timothy. There's this consistency in this all the way through. At the end of 2 Timothy 2, he says, hoping that certain ones would come to repentance, and he says that they would uh, come to their senses having been held captive by the devil to do his will. That's the description. Held captive by the devil to do his will. So this kind of uh, passage is not f- an unusual passage to talk about the spiritual uh, re- relationships that are out there and the spiritual relationship that we must have. We will have spiritual relationships. And it's further to make them see the seriousness of playing with sin. You're dealing with the enemy in this always and it doesn't mean it doesn't mean that we're under the power of the enemy we belong to Jesus Christ but we must never think of sin as an impersonal thing we must never think of it as a non-relational thing it has everything to do with our relationship to Jesus and our relationship to the spiritual world you see that's made all the more apparent isn't it in the lord's supper because here in this incredible experience, this incredible participation in the very grace of Jesus Christ, and it centers on the suffering He accomplished for us, and we are participating in all the benefits won at the horrible pain of Jesus Christ, and He gives it so freely to us, and here we are taking it in, and Paul says, you don't just turn around and then give yourself to demonic idolatry. As though this over here meant nothing. So the basic thing that Paul is setting forth here is that we so easily, like the Corinthians, can not take sin seriously in our lives. And we can easily misuse the grace and the acceptance and forgiveness that we have in Christ as a reason to coast, as a reason 
to not care one way or another what happens in terms of our spiritual life. And that's why, as we've said before, in the uh, Ten Commandments, God begins, have no other gods before me. And sometimes we interpret that to say, have no other gods you know, ahead of me, before me in that sense. But literally it means in my presence, in my face. And the way I've tried to dramatically set that forth, it's, it's like a man bringing a woman into his bedroom right in front of the family as they're watching TV, just parades in, through the living room. Uh, the den and just right into the bedroom, right in their presence. Yeah. And God says, don't have another God in my presence. Oh, Israel, my wife, my bride, don't lay down with an idol, another God. You see, that's why it's, it's kind of odd for us to say our God is a jealous God because jealousy is usually a bad thing for us, but it's really good for husbands and wives to be properly jealous, to care that love is unique and precious and private just between them. And that's what it is for God. He so values his relationship with us. He so values you that he wants this exclusive, devoted love. And he says, begins the whole covenant relationship with this command. Don't have rival lovers in my presence. Wow. <laughs> what a way to begin the commandments with, with this intimate, zealous love that he has for his people. And, and that's at the root here. And there's this added rich new covenant layer. We're participating in this God's, uh, this, this uh, institution where this God has sent his own son to die for our sins. And we're focusing on that suffering and we're drawing from the benefits of it. Wow, does that have implications for how I would live my life then? See, it means I've been I'm intimate with him in, in partaking of the very benefits of his death. And that's why I think the writer of Hebrews would say to those who are turning away from Christ, um, he says, don't trample underfoot the blood of the Son of God. I think I've mentioned this to you before, but in a fantasy series I read years ago, uh, <clears throat> this creature killed someone and was so... Uh, vile that he jumped up and down on the blood of the person after he killed them. And that's the minute I read it, I thought of Hebrews, and I just shuddered at the thought that I would ever turn away and say, Christ, you mean nothing to me, and be just like that man, just dancing on the blood of the Son of God. So, Paul says here, flee, 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 run. Uh, one of my favorite scenes in the little movie Secret of Nim, you've seen that little cartoon, uh, there's a lady who plays the role of uh, Auntie Shrew with all the mice. So there are all these little mice in their different homes, and uh, there's Auntie Shrew. Um, and Auntie Shrew... I just lost my... Oh, here it is, yeah. 
Um, Hermione Badley was a 76-year-old actress who played that part. And one of the favorite things is on plowing day, because all the mice are in the field. These are field mice, okay? So on plowing day, it's Auntie Shrew's responsibility to, when the tractor cranks up, or when the guy's even walking to the tractor, to run through the fields. Run! Run! I just love her, you know, English, wonderful English accent as she's running through Auntie Shrew. And... uh I think of Paul here. You know, it's like the fires in the apartment building run. It's like a colonel talking to a lieutenant who's under blistering fire. And he's saying, get out of there now. That's Paul, you know. And that means for us many different things, of course. It, It means that it may mean turn it off. It may mean unplug it. It may mean stop the subscription. It may mean stop the cable, ending direct TV if you have to, getting covenant eyes if you have to. It, it means cutting the first rise off the first rising of sin in your heart, dealing with it when you first sense it, maintaining a strong sense of how corrupting and degrading sin is so that you always hate it. You hate sin. And, and the writer of, of uh, the, the psalmist in Psalm 119 talks about, from your word I gain wisdom so that I hate every sin. It could be a connection. There is sometimes in the fact that we don't immerse ourselves or even try as, as we do have opportunity to immerse ourselves in the pure good word of God so that we really do begin to hate every sin sin. And the way of escape is not magic. He talks about the way of escape. Um, do you think the page of the magazine is going to suddenly burn up? You know, <laughs> gave you a way of escape. You know, your computer stops working. Ah, gave you the way of escape. Barrett wisely points out at this passage, he says, he's talking about a way out that the Corinthians are looking for a way in. That's too, all too often us, aren't we? We're looking for a way in. We want to rub up close to it. Get as close as we can with that because we really don't hate it by God's grace. There's a far side where you see the piece of a cliff that's just broken off. Okay? And it, it says, uh, look out right there. And that part is gone, and you look on the bus, and it says, Overeaters Anonymous. <laughs> so a whole bus of Overeaters Anonymous has just fallen off the cliff because they got right up against it. And Paul is telling us, you are no better, you are human. The same sin that overtook the Israelites will overtake you. The good news, brothers and sisters, is that Jesus says... My sheep know me, my sheep follow me, and I will not lose one of them because I hold them in my hand. And my Father is greater than me, and He holds them in His hand. And I will not lose one of them. So for those who helplessly trust in Him in their weakness and say, Oh, Lord, I cannot save myself. I cannot keep myself. Lord, I have sinned in so many ways, even this week. You're the only one that can keep me. You're the only one that can grow me. You're the only one that can make me zealous. You're the only one that can make me concerned about my sin and to to grow in all the ways I need. Lord Jesus, save me. 
Continue to save me in every way I need. Particularly, Lord, give me the grace that I will not walk in the way of the Corinthians, but that I will be like Paul by your grace. Because Paul was made that way by God's grace only. And he will make you that way by his grace. That's why we come to the Lord's table. It's not a table for the strong. It's a table for the weak coming to the Lord Jesus for which we, we have no other hope except Him. We have no other strength. We have no other life. We have no hope of that kind of zeal, that kind of vigor, that kind of energy. We have no hope except Jesus. So this isn't a pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This is let's cling to Christ and He will give us grace to be all that we need to be. Let us pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you for your zeal for our salvation. We thank you, Lord, that you suffered even to the point of the degradation of the cross. We exalt you, Lord Jesus. We praise you. and We ask that you would work in our hearts. I think of Paul who said that you died in order that we would be redeemed from all lawlessness and that we would be zealous for good deeds. Oh, Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our lack of zeal. And, Lord, we look to you and your salvation, your death and resurrection and your gift of the Holy Spirit that will enable us to walk in new zeal. You are our life. And as you said, we can do nothing apart from you Lord, if we abide in you, you will cause us to bear much fruit. And so we come to abide in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this weekly podcast from Fort Worth Presbyterian. Our prayer is that this message was able to nurture a joy for loving God and loving people in you. Please visit our website for worship service times directions to the church, and to subscribe to this podcast. Our web address is fortworthpca.org. Fort Worth Presbyterian is a part of the Presbyterian Church in America. Jesus, my Lord, my life, my light, oh, come with blissful rain. Break radiant through the shades of night And chase my fears away Won't you chase my fears away Then shall my soul with rapture trace The wonders of